welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the inside take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, their career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Guillermo. Kyle Bornheimer is an actor and comedian who's had roles on some notable TV sitcoms, including Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Worst Week, Judd Apatow's Netflix series Love, and Breaking Bad. Bornheimer had lots to say about the golden age of television we've all been enjoying since the early 2000s, including whether people 20 years from now will take the time to binge watch TV shows like Breaking Bad the same way they rewatch classic movies. We also talked about TV in the age of a social justice movement that's prompting the entertainment industry to rethink diversity, inclusion, and the kinds of stories we should be telling. A quick note. Because of COVID-19 and shelter in place, our conversation was recorded over the internet. So be prepared if the audio sounds a little bit quirky. Kyle Bornheimer, thank you so much for joining us today for an episode of I'm So Obsessed. Let me just start by asking, where are you and what are you doing in quarantine? (laughs) Uh, I am, uh, well, I live in Los Angeles. I, on this particular day, went down on quarantining in a house down in uh, Orange County to uh, say hi to some in-laws. We are all wearing masks and social distance helloing for the day. And um, I like to do a lot of activities. I have these huge to-do lists that include everything from, you know, go fishing to, you know, rent a boat, <laughs> um, all that stuff. Uh, but at the same time, I'm actually pretty good at, at staying at home for a while and long periods of time. Um, I think being a starving artist for a lot of my early 20s and not being able to afford to do much program me to be okay at staying in for a long time. So, you know, we've basically been in lockdown like everyone else. We, we stay home and have everything, you know, delivered when we need it to be. And I, I, I tried to do a lot of lockdown shopping right before and get ourselves stocked up. So, are you are you baking bread or what? What's your? So I, I'm a big blue apron person. That's like my speed for cooking. When everything is almost <laughs> completely done for me, but I still feel like I'm stirring things and <laughs> right. and having to turn the sim- to simmer. That's about my speed for for cooking. So we do that a lot. And but you know, having a lot of family dinners and family lunches, and we you know, it's it has a, it has been you know, nice in that regard. Um, obviously, we all get sick of each other like everyone else, but. For the most part, it's been nice having those family dinners and every night. Well, that is the upside of a global pandemic is that yes. you are close to the people that you are close to. Right. Even closer. Um, well, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the work that you've done, but also putting it in the context of this world that we're living in. And a lot of the shows that you've been on, not all of them, uh, and some of the work you've done in movies, I mean, I'm going to uh, you know, mention Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Playing House. You were in uh, a movie that I admit to seeing. She's out of my league. (laughs) It's very funny. Um, You've been in Judd Apatow's Netflix series, Love. But uh, I think of you in the comedic roles that you have played. And we are living through extraordinary, unusual, sometimes horrible, horrifying situations and how important comedy is as a constant in this culture is. And I'm wondering, as you're sitting there, spending time with your family and baking bread, have, has it caused you to revisit the kinds of projects that you might want to work on? More comedy, less comedy? Like, what is your view of what contribution you want to make? And has this caused you to revisit the thinking around it? You know, it's really interesting, the conversations I have with, with writers and directors and actors right now in terms of a, a good plan to, to mitigate 
the spread. Creatively, there's sort of a similar on-holdness on what kinds of stories are going to come out of this period and what stories we want to tell and what stories we think people want to hear. There is a little bit of, a, of an uncertainty there. And I think one thing that we know is going to happen right now, and that has to happen and has been happening for the last five years or so at an accelerated rate and needs to continue away from the, the COVID experience necessarily, although the COVID has, has revealed many thematic things that are that are sort of run in conjunction with, what, with this, but it's, it's stories from perspectives that we have not had enough of. And obviously with, with the, our industry and the entertainment industry's uh, push to celebrate diversity and to foster diversity and representation, that I know for sure if we keep this movement going and if this becomes what the industry should become, which is true representation and true diversity, I do know that those are stories that we're going to be telling and that we're going to be hearing and that we're going to be celebrating and fostering those artistic voices more. And those are the stories that I want, I'm interested in, in seeing and being a part of. So I, I do know that that's going to be something that I, I lean into as an entertainer in terms of those kinds of projects. Comedy, you know, it's something we've, we've criticized, we've, we've talked a lot during the, the, this current administration about how satire is dead because <laughs> reality is surpassing satire and its absurdity. And that continues to be the case, it seems like. And sci-fi as well. You know, we've joked about with Avenue 5 was the show that, the HBO show that I did last year. During it, we're like, we're, we're weirdly predicting a few things that we didn't know we were predicting, but we had a general sense that, you know, because Armando Iannucci created is very sharp and his satire can be sometimes really, uh, you kind of get it right away. And sometimes it's, you have to dig a little deeper, but he was getting at something there. And when that show premiered, as the lockdowns were happening, and we were getting at a lot of <laughs> what humanity would, how they would behave in a crisis, it was pretty jarring how dead on the show was about, say, uh, the idiocracy <laughs> that that takes over, as easily we take over humanity uh, during this. Um, well, people yeah. are also revisiting cop shows. And, you know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine is not cops <laughs> by any <laughs> stretch of the imagination, but... What about that? What about shows that do talk about the culture of policing in the U.S., even in a humorous way? Is that something that we need to revisit as well? Well, I think so. You know, again, and that I'll, I'll admit to being sort of flat-footed in, in, in realizing that over the last few months and and in, in terms of being a part of, of a comedy like that and, and, and having to reevaluate it. So I'm in the process of evaluating that and what every – police-centered show is different and has a different take and a different comedic voice or dramatic voice or thriller voice. And I think they're all going to have to, we all are going to have to examine what that means now that we are so collectively <laughs> being educated right now, uh, you know, and, um, you know, I, I'll, I'll admit to not, not having an answer right away to, to what, what that's going to mean for a show like Brooklyn Nine-Nine or, or way that I play that character. You know, I think the conversation about reimagining public safety is an important one, and reimagining what police do is an important one, and a and a much needed and, and long overdue conversation. And I do think that in the context of a complete reimagining of public safety and how we view community issues and how they're responded to and how different kinds of crises are, are responded to by you know, civic government, I do believe that as shows uh, exist within that environment that they'll have to address that somehow. I bet you wouldn't have imagined that your your character on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, uh, Sergeant Teddy Ramos, that's his 
the name that he takes after mm-hmm. Ramos, um, Very brave. is called the most boring man in America. And in one, uh, you know, season you joined the bomb squad, right. To impress uh, Amy yeah. unrequited love. And, and that is, you know, seen as a dramatic move. And today all you have to do is go uh, be part of a protest to have a more dramatic job. It's kind of an odd <laughs> twist. You know, comedy changes. I mean, it's interesting. We're talking this on the day uh, that, that rest in peace, Carl Reiner. You know, one of the titans of of comedy has passed away, and and sort of get, gets a lot of us in the comedy world thinking about how comedy, how it travels, how it how it ages. You know, and he's an obviously comedic, uh, like I said, a comedic hero and idol, and and his mind is the best, one of the best ever that happened comedically. But if you look back at Dick Van Dyke was 1961. I think he was working on on shows with, with Sid Caesar and all those guys before that. You know, you can evaluate all the comedy work he did over years to, within the context of those times, and you can be critical of of things that they that were being done. You can also be impressed that some has traveled well and has has uh, aged well. And you know, as comedians and 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 as entertainers, we have to be able to reckon with that within ourselves that. Um, we have to learn as we go and try to be our best selves as we go. And I think especially nowadays, I mean, I think now there's no excuse for a lot of our, you know, everyone in this entertainment, in the entertainment industry to be more in tune um, with this moment. Um, speaking of things that will age well, you worked on Breaking Bad, a limited uh, role, but but you had an important uh, storyline to tell there. Is that a show that is going to travel well, you think? I'm curious on on sort of classic tv forgetting for a moment how you know the themes and storylines will will age with the times i'm just curious if people are going to watch you know all seven seasons of breaking bad in, in 20 years if they'll revisit the way we re- revisit classic movies you know if they you know the way we watch singing in the rain again or the graduate or when harry met sally or any movie that's older and it's easy to pop in for two hours and reacquaint or introduce it to our kids and grandkids. If we'll be able to do that at the same in the same way with with long running series, is we're in the golden age of television still, and it's now going on twenty years. It's still pretty fascinating. What an amazing run of television! Once television kind of grew up in the early two thousands, how good it got. And I'm been thrilled and blessed to be able to to have a, a small part in that era. Um, but I at the same time I'm I'm slightly more of a movie guy as a fan. I love movies and I love the movie theater experience. One of the things that sucks about lockdown a lot is I, I love going to movies and haven't obviously haven't been able to. I love the popcorn. I love the trailers. I love the lights going down. And I hope that comes comes back because platforms will need movies uh, always is, is my hope because people can watch them a little easier and can, and if the theaters can show them and, and make a big push at the beginning of, of that movie's life. And then they can live on streaming services alongside amazing TV shows. That would be the perfect balance for me. Well, there's there's a lot of questions that I have there as follow-ups. But let me just start <laughs> with one. Let's just talk about classic TV. What are your favorite classic TV series? What do you have fond memories of or would you rewatch? We've been watching a lot of Twilight Zone during lockdown, the, the, the classic Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone holds up pretty well and ages pretty well. You know, I think, you know, those morality tales that he was getting at and the, the basic hook of that being a very human, timeless uh, questions of ethics and morality and, and some sci-fi themes. I, I'm always amazed at how, how well that those, uh, those age. Twilight Zone has been a really a fun one to watch. And also kind of speaking of like what you're in the mood for for comedy during a time like this, some, some, sometimes things hit so close to home and are so dead on with the times that 
it's it gets exhausting, frankly. Um, one fun thing that we watch a lot is Andy Tribeca, which is not classic by any means yet, age wise. I think it will be. But Andrew Tribeca and that sort of um, that style of comedy, that kitchen sink style of comedy, my kids love it, and that's like a that's a kind of a fun one to put on during this time. You always have to sort of clear the palate with a comedy like that, and then go back to watching Doctor Strangelove and getting freaked out by everything. You know? <laughs> uh, I'll just uh, yeah, since we're trading, I'm going to say at Third Rock from the Sun, mm. aliens coming to Earth. Joseph Gordon-Levitt and John Lithgow are just uh, amazing. It's very funny as well. I've talked to others about the uh, the problem with obviously movie theaters being closed and if movie theaters will come back. I mean, obviously, uh, as you noted, we're still in stage one of the pandemic here in the U.S. Unfortunately, the curve is not at the place that we wanted it to be, despite some great efforts, although California is, you know, has been very aggressive and forward thinking in many ways and even so is still suffering and so the idea that we'll all get back together and watch a movie it just seems so far away and then the question is are they you know movies going to a movie is already an expensive endeavor here in the u.s and you know if you have kids and you have to get a babysitter you know you're talking upwards of a hundred dollar night in some places in some cities so Everyone's at home. They're binge watching. They're watching movies. They're watching TV shows because we are in the era of streaming and more services than you can possibly subscribe to. Is there a concern that we that going to the movie might become a thing that is more akin to like going to a high end theater production, expensive, a special once in a while kind of thing rather than a everyday thing? There's a part of me that believes that there's an opportunity for theaters and for the motion picture industry when people are starting to feel more comfortable going out and, and putting aside for a second, what's that, what that's going to mean post vaccine, before the vaccine, whatever, um, that people are going to be sick of being at home. <laughs> They're going to be desiring the opportunity to go out and, and do things like this. I mean, you know, I miss movies. I also miss concerts and you know, live entertainment. We, we all miss that. I think there's an opportunity with outdoor screenings because of the expense just to, to, for the industry to create incentives to go out and discounts and coupons for the very thing you're talking about, whether it's movie theaters or malls or anything else, I think technologies to make people feel secure in this new age of viruses. Um, and, you know, I talk about friends all the time, like we, we need a, this whole overhaul. I want everything to look like a, the, the world's greatest airport in terms of no handles, no, you know, you never <laughs> touch anything. You know, I think in general, not just movie theaters, but everything we have to sort of start to realize that we're in the time of contagion. I don't know what you want to call it. Right. And everyone needs to feel secure about everything in that regard. But, you know, I think there needs to be more models for how people can, can to, to keep down costs, um, but can go to the movie theater and have a big movie theater experience at, at less of a cost to them. And I think the, the streaming service model is, is a good one that I think movie theaters and, and the industry should look at, continue to look at. So, I think that can be a, a sort of holistic approach to, to, to feed all the uh, different areas of the industry. That hybrid model that you're talking about is yeah. quite interesting. I don't I don't think anyone has uh, adopted that uh, yet, but I would go to the Netflix drive-in in Silicon mm-hmm. Valley. They have large parking lots, <laughs> set them up as drive-in. Definitely. And I think in the meantime, yeah, there could be, you know, as long as you do it correctly with social distancing, in the meantime, you can kind of create, continue creating the appetite for that. And then once this is 
over and we're, we all know what the new reality is. And maybe, it, I don't know, you know, it might be that the, it's so interesting. Like, I don't know, is the vaccine going to give us the kind of confidence so that we go back to normal, but, but we're all a little bit smarter about pans and, and masks and stuff like that, but we're all still sitting right next to each other or our, whether it's a concert venue or a movie theater, are they going to start putting their seats, you know, constructing the spaces differently or no, it'll be a whole, you know, it's continued uncertainty about all that. Well, we are a tech site. And so, of course, one of my questions is about tech. And that is, what is your favorite tech today? You mentioned meal delivery services. <laughs> so yes. we've got that covered. Yes, yes. yes. Blue Apron. Uh, what else? You know, I have two young boys who are, are, are love the YouTube channel experience and YouTubers and stuff. And we've been, I've been more and more acquainted with how YouTube, and it's sort of fascinating how, how, YouTubers have, have, have uh, created an industry for themselves and created a, a new part of the entertainment industry that wasn't there. I think even, you know, as long as YouTube's been around, I feel like it's, it's ramped up over the last five years or so, um, or places like Twitch and things like that. So I, I find that rather fascinating. And as I've, you know, gotten into podcasting a little bit here and there, and my kids have talked about YouTube channels, the, the tech around that, whether it's cameras or microphones and all that kind of stuff, I've, I've started to get into a little bit more and teaching myself a lot of editing software and stuff for my own filmmaking. And, and, and so a lot of it is centered around the industry, but like you said, there's also those, uh, you know, blue apron and, and stuff like that, that are kind of, I don't know if you would call that Silicon Valley adjacent or kind of born out of the, a lot of the Silicon Valley modeling. What about a piece of tech that you would like invented just for you? Power generation. You know, I mean, it seems to me that I should, you know, just walking around with my cell phone in my pocket should be easily powering my cell phone and, and recharging the battery that, that cars on the freeway. I, I just feel as a society, we could be putting energy to use in a, in a, in a much more efficient way and that it's, it's, with, it's well within our grasp. And if there was more of a public-private partnership and, um, and less of a reliance on just that some genius is going to come up with it and monetize it for themselves... So I think, you know, I, I think about that kind of stuff often and driving around and be like, why are, are we still a society that's stopping for gas? <laughs> like, you know, um, it, it's, it seems like there's a lot of waste and I'm as guilty as anyone else with it. And I also think holograms probably should start being a thing more. It's just, <laughs> it, it, it's so fascinating. Like with Zoom, you know, we're now like living in the future that we all saw, you know, going back to 2001 and before that, even actually as we, before we got on, we were talking about modern times. And I was, I was introducing the movie Modern Times with Charlie Chaplin. That movie is a, it's an interesting thing because he's, he's talking about the Industrial Revolution you know, well, well into it. And it's a very political movie about what he's saying about the workforce and how they're treated. But it's also like a, a little bit of a futuristic take. And there's, there's, there's a lot of screen time on it. There's a lot of talking on screens to, to people. Going now, this movie was, I don't know, 1928, whenever that movie was, mm-hmm. or maybe into the 30s. And then 2001 had like people, you know, phoned, you know, vi- video phone chatting, which was such a big deal. And now we're finally there, and it's obviously the norm now. And I feel like the next thing has to be that you die, you know, a hologram is pop- constantly popping up on your phone or in the middle of your kitchen. You're talking to a 3D image of, of a friend or family member. So I'm ready for that to happen. Or maybe I'm not. Maybe I don't want it to happen, but it, <laughs> it seems cool. <laughs> well, augmented reality, we've, we've, toe-dipped so far. I mean, there was the Pokemon Go craze a couple of years ago. That was the start of that. And so obviously I am a Star Trek fan and I think the Star Trek vision of the future is coming maybe a little faster than I would have thought. 
uh, five years ago, but you know, necessity is the mother of invention. <laughs> All right. One other question. And that is the name of this podcast is I'm so obsessed. What are you obsessed with? Do you have any obsessions? I'm obsessed with the moment we're in, um, in, in social justice. And what I trying to be a positive part of that and learn whatever I can and, and share whatever I think I can share that's, that's uh, at all helpful and, and learn about the things I don't know in terms of in terms of social justice and in terms of what where where we failed uh, and and things I wasn't aware we were failing at so badly or, or or had forgotten or had had gotten preoccupied with other things and had been ignoring. So I'm very obsessed with helping us all get this moment right and and keep it moving forward. And uh, trying to be better like a fixer at home, kind of obsessed about like am I at home more? I should learn how to fix things a little bit better. And that's I, I'm about a C plus student with that right now. <laughs> well, YouTube, you can pretty much learn how to fix anything. It's it's true. It's true. I'm, I'm I always feel like I don't contribute to YouTube, but I'm always taking from YouTube. Like like I've never posted a helpful thing on YouTube, but I get so many helpful things from YouTube. But I feel it's a one way relationship that I should probably correct. Like I need to find one thing I'm really I really feel like a contribute that someone would want to look up one day and, and get use of because I can I can do anything. Yeah, what what would it be? What could you contribute? Let's hear I, it. Know, Let's brainstorm with you. <laughs> what have I learned that could be? That is, it's so sad that I can't even <laughs> I can't even think of like one like useful skill. Hmm. I might have to like call you back when later today. <laughs> I'll probably one will spring to mind of something I've actually gotten good at over these last well all you have to do is call us back and give us the youtube link and we'll embed it mm -hmm. in the story i'll just do it you know what i can just put it up there and and uh and help i've, I've uh yeah electric yard tools maybe i finally invested in <laughs> in non-gas powered yard tools and i'm enjoying mowing the lawn with my new electric motor i guess but i don't know what how it's it's literally pushing a button so i guess i could have a youtube where i show people how to push a button on their electric powered yard equipment well, or your gardening schedule, how you build it into your life so that you can garden yes. without guilt. How's that? Gardening without guilt. There's the name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for your time and for your insights into what's thank happening you. in the world of TVs and movies. And we hope you stay safe. Thank you for wearing a mask and uh, good luck. Thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Kyle Bornheimer for talking with me, and thank you for listening. We hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, be safe. <laughs>